Guilty, guilty on the eve of the first criminal RICO trial of Donald Trump's co-defendants in Fulton County, Georgia, two of Donald Trump's lawyers pled guilty to their roles in trying to overthrow the 2020 election. They were fined and are required to testify about their crimes uh, in connection with future proceedings against other co-defendants and Donald Trump, and each was sentenced to probation. We will go over the sentencing uh, that went down. The first domino to fall was Sidney Kraken Powell, and then Ken I was just writing emails and partying with Alex Jones to live out my fascist midlife crisis, Chesborough. This was a massive victory, folks, for Fulton County District Attorney Fawny Willis and for Special Counsel Jack Smith, who can now use those guilty pleas in his criminal prosecution as well of Donald Trump in federal court when that trial arrives in March. And this was, of course, devastating news for Donald Trump. Now, that's what's cracking. Speaking of the special counsel Jack Smith prosecution of Donald Trump for trying to overthrow the 2020 election pending in Washington, D.C. federal court, Judge Chutkin issued a limited gag order against Donald Trump precluding him from threatening the special counsel, witnesses, the court and court staff and all of their families. And Donald Trump filed an appeal and request for a stay. Donald Trump's arguing that these threats are protected by the First Amendment. Special counsel Jack Smith's team, also very busy in that D.C. federal case, they filed their opposition to Donald Trump's motion to dismiss the indictment and love this part of it where they mocked Donald Trump's attempt to try to compare his conduct on January 6th to the Gettysburg Address and George Washington's farewell speech. Just a very, very, very scathing opposition by Jack Smith. And it was a very, very, very busy week in Washington, D.C. on all sides. The Court of Appeals from the D.C. Circuit affirmed the Department of Justice's authority to prosecute insurrectionists under an obstruction of official proceeding statute. That's been a very, very, very potent tool in the DOJ's toolkit that has important ramifications on more than a thousand cases against insurrectionists, as well as the Trump prosecution. And going down south to the Southern District of Florida, Judge Eileen Cannon continues to delay things in the federal Mar-a-Lago theft of national defense information case. She delayed a hearing on Trump's request to delay all hearings to November 1. She's showing, in my opinion, how her corruption is also matched by her incompetence. And last but not least, Midas Touch editor-in-chief Ron Filipkowski broke a major story that Donald Trump was in continuing violation of the gag order imposed on him in New York in the civil fraud case that was imposed by the judge presiding over the case, Judge Ngoron. Donald Trump removed threatening posts that he had made about Ngoron's principal law clerk from his social media when ordered to do so on October 3rd, but Philip Kowski and MidasTouch.com editors spotted that it remained up on Donald Trump's campaign 
page. Judge Ngoron found that Donald Trump was in violation of the gag order, imposed a fine, and stated that the next violation would lead to penalties, including but not limited to imprisonment. And that might not have been the worst news for Donald Trump in the New York civil fraud case this week. I'm Ben Micellis. This is Legal AF. And just for those who are wondering, you know, Ben, you talk about patreon.com slash Midas Touch to support MidasTouch.com and the independent journalism you do. Is, is it worth it? I would just say Exhibit A, Ron Filipkowski, what MidasTouch.com just broke, led to massive, massive ramifications in bringing truth to power and holding Donald Trump accountable. I know a lot of people wanted to see Donald Trump be imprisoned for that, but I think it was still a very important step that any future conduct, I think, will certainly be met by imprisonment now in that and other courts. Popak, how are you? I'm doing I'm doing great. I mean, I we don't know technically if Judge Encoron is a fan of the pod or a fan of Midas Touch in the network. But we do know that judges and their staff um, scrape and scrub and read social media and uh, media platforms. And so you know, you connect the dots. Sometimes we report on the news. Sometimes we break the news. Sometimes we are the news. And this is going to be that episode I've been waiting a long time for. It's the connect the dots episode where we get to talk about not just Donald Trump, but all the people in his orbit that are now imperiled in prosecutions, both federal and state, because at least one prosecutor has gotten two plus another person, to flip on Donald Trump. We're going to connect the dots about what it means and and as the Department of Justice, with their eyes wide open about what just happened in Georgia, looks at their case anew in the D.C. Circuit Court, considering whether to bring new indictments against the currently unindicted co-conspirators, but I suggest and posit they won't be unindicted for long, and the pressure campaign that continues on Walt Nauda in the Mar-a-Lago case. A lot of dots to connect. We're going to do it here on Legal AF. You know, I woke up in the morning. What's that song by Kesho? Woke up in the morning feeling like, you know, so I, w- I woke up in the morning and I got a call from Popak pretty, pretty early on the <laughs> West Coast as, as I was walking my dogs. And I think it was about 7 a.m. And Popak told me, are you seeing the news? And I said, <laughs> tell, said, tell me about it, Popak. And that's when we found out. And this was a big shocker that Sidney Powell, someone who Donald Trump wanted to appoint as a special counsel in and around the January 6th insurrection, um, was going to be entering a guilty plea. We then watched as she pled to six separate counts. They were reduced to misdemeanors, but nonetheless, serious counts. She had to accept the factual allegations against her, sentenced to six years uh, probation, um, had to enter into a proffer session. And that began a historically important week on all fronts, because when we talk about the dominoes falling, what Fulton County District Attorney Fawny Willis may be able to achieve by securing the guilty pleas of Sidney Powell, Ken Chesborough, and their trial, because they both elected to invoke the Speedy Trial Act, heck, jury selection was taking place on Friday as Ken Chesborough pled guilty, Donald Trump's lawyer who wrote a memorandum around uh, the January 6th insurrection. But this will have a domino effect on other Trump co-defendants. And now 
potentially can mean that the case against Donald Trump, the RICO case, can take place in 2024 because this trial was slated to be like six months at least. It could have been more than that. So Popak, can you break down for us first just like what went down with these guilty pleas and then their broader implications and import? Absolutely. Thank you. Um, I was saying thank you to my coworker. Thank you for giving me a question that let me do my podcast stuff. <laughs> yeah, this was this is um, more epic of a result than even the press on first blush could give it credit for. Um, we're just catching up and catching our breath, but here is the ramifications of it. We ha- now have three total co-conspirator defendants. Co-conspirator joined at the hip with Donald Trump who have pled guilty, will plead guilty, and will look a jury in the eye against Donald Trump and say that they are convicted felons, that they committed the crimes, or at least the ones they've been, that they uh, pled to. Um, Sidney Powell, it's not just about the six misdemeanors and the six years of probation and her letter uh, of apology to the people of the state of Georgia. It is her proffer, which is her her sworn statement under oath developed with her counsel that was given as a condition of being given the plea deal. And then more importantly, it is the future testimony she will give in Georgia, which is not limited to the six misdemeanors that she's pled to. That's something that's often lost in the reporting. Just because she's only pled to six and Ken Chesborough to one felony, which I'll talk about next, doesn't mean that they're limited in terms of their testimony. In fact, quite the opposite. They are required to be fulsome and complete about anything and everything that the part, that the uh, prosecutor in Georgia has on their mind that they want to have for the continued prosecution and cases against the others. And when I say the others, here, Donald Trump. And so who better? Um, so that's one thing I want to make clear. Um, and let me just combine that with Ken Chesbrough, and then I'll bring it all together. Ken Chesbrough, who didn't want to be tried with Sidney Powell. And th- again, I wanted to give a bit of a credit before I get into Chesbrough to Fawny Willis and the mastery and uh, the masterful prosecution and preparation that is the Fulton County District Attorney's Office that that um, amazes me um, and makes me uh, happy to be a part of a justice system every day. The reason she was able to get these plea deals is, and we gave her a lot of flack, and so I want to give her the the I want to give her the compliment for the big gap of seven months between indictments are imminent and the fact when she finally got the indictment. And we always said she was working, she was working in between to prepare her case for the just in case somebody like Powell and Chesbro decided to invoke their Speedy Trial Act rights and force a trial within a month of the indictment. The only way that you can get this kind of plea deal and have the leverage in your hand is if you're ready to go to trial when you tell the judge you're ready to go to trial. So far from being caught flat-footed, Chesbro and Powell were caught flat-footed because they thought speedy trial might lead to the dismissal of the case. And instead, Fawny Willis said, we'll meet you there in the courthouse. What time? And then they knew, uh-oh, <laughs> we're between a rock and a rock and not even a hard place. And we're in a vice of Fawny Willis's making. And, and Fawny Willis knows how to use that vice to get people to flip. She's done it before in large racketeering influence and corrupt organization act, RICO cases, and we're watching her do it now. Chesbro 
was the one of the architects or the, the leading architect of the fake elector scheme and scandal to create fake electors in seven battleground states in December of 2020 and then use them as a pressure campaign to either gum up the works or throw them at and pressure Mike Pence to not certify the election, either recognizing the fake electors for Donald Trump instead of the true electors uh, for Joe Biden state by state, or throw it over to the states to allow the states to pick the president, which would have led to Donald Trump being selected president. He and John Eastman wrote the memos, led all of that. They were the war room operation. They weren't on the front lines, except for uh, yeah, Eastman and um, Jesbro didn't appear in court, but they led the effort. They were the generals in the back, along with Donald Trump, who gave the ultimate authorities, commander-in-chief of his own uh, uh, usurpation campaign to cling to power, to go into those courtrooms, 60, 60 different lawsuits, and they were all, this was all part of that conspiracy. Chesbro got the third best deal. As we said at earlier legal AFs, depending upon when you come in and how much you make the prosecutor work and how valuable your testimony is going to be, you're going to get a great deal like probation, which we've just seen with three co-conspirators. But what you plead to is going to differ depending upon what the government has against you. Powell, six misdemeanors. Again, open season on what she testifies about. Chesbro, one felony count, conspiracy concerning the filing of false uh, documents, which is the, the fake certificates. But again, full cooperation, full truthful testimony. Now, I know Scott Grubman, his lawyer, has already been on the news saying, he's just going to tell the truth, and that's not necessarily going to implicate uh, Donald Trump. You know, first of all, he's full of shit. He doesn't know exactly what... Ken Chesbro is going to say, because he doesn't know the questions that are going to be asked. And Ken Chesbro is going to pin the tail on a lot of different donkeys, as is Sidney Powell. For example, and then I want to flip over to Jack Smith. All of the people that are in the orbit of Powell and Chesbro are also unindicted currently co-conspirators in the DC case brought by Jack Smith. Rudy Giuliani, John Eastman, Clark, Jeffrey Clark, Boris Epstein. If you do the organization chart that, you know, like that mob, that mob chart they use in mob uh, conspiracy cases, for Ken Chesborough, he's going to be able to connect the dots with Mark Meadows, Boris Epstein, the inside lawyer for Donald Trump, Giuliani, Bernie Carrick, Jenna Ellis, John Eastman, Mike Roman. They're all, they're all part of the world of Ken Chesbro with Donald Trump at the center. Powell is going to be able to do Giuliani, Carrick, Jenna Ella, John Eastman, and of course, Donald Trump. She attended one of the many crazy meetings in the White House in December of 2020 involving Mike Flynn, Rudy Giuliani, Patrick Byrne, the Overstock.com guy, to talk about the seizing of voting machines. Um, and so just to remind people how crazy that was, Sidney Powell drafted an executive order that was never signed by Donald Trump, but was contemplated. So it's part of the conspiracy. We have it up there for Donald Trump to declare that there was definite findings of foreign interference by Iran and China through the Dominion voting systems machines and Smartmatic software. Um, and therefore, he was authorizing the seizing by the Secretary of Defense 
of all voting equipment in the battleground states. Um, that almost got executed, as did Sidney Powell herself being appointed special counsel with all the special counsel powers like Jack Smith to go after voter fraud in December of 2020. Now, so these aren't low-level people. These are high-level people, one degree removed from Donald Trump and connected to him in a conspiracy. Sure, they'll be cross-examined at trial of Donald Trump, and they'll try to get them on, oh, you're biased because you cut a deal. Oh, you, you, you said crazy things in the past, and now you're saying they're not true. You know, you're a liar. Sure. But when you have two or three now co-conspirators in Georgia, who are going to testify at the ultimate trial of Donald Trump, that they were a part of a conspiracy with Donald Trump, they participated in a conspiracy with Donald Trump, they are they admitted to the crimes related to that conspiracy, and then opened the door of all the things and connecting the dots to Donald Trump. That is what's going to happen at trial. And a trial, as you rightly noted, Ben, which could likely now happen, not in the latter part of 2024, but now the judge has a clear docket. He had five, six months reserved for this case. Now that's off. If I'm Fawny Willis in the next couple of weeks, I say, judge, we were going to try that case. We're not trying that case. We want to do Donald Trump in the first quarter of 2024. And, and we'll have to see what happens there. And then lastly, Ben, for me, the big impact here is Jack Smith. Jack Smith has an, a group of unindicted co-conspirators, who some of which have been indicted in Georgia, none of which have been indicted yet in the D.C. case. Rudy Giuliani, John Eastman, Sidney Powell, Jeff Clark, Ken Chesborough, and Boris Epstein are all the not that one, are all the, un yes, those, those photos, are all the unindicted co-conspirators. But if 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 uh, Jack Smith, based on now um, Powell and Chesbro, his two unindicted co-conspirators, don't take a plea deal with them and agree to cooperate in that case, they're going to get indicted there and the rest are going to get indicted. I think Jack Smith is my view. Jack Smith has had enough of waiting around for the unindicted co-conspirators to come in and talk to him. And now we'll get another series, we'll get another indictment, I believe, involving these people. And look out, Boris Epstein. I know he's out there trying to influence who's going to be our next Speaker of the House and saying it's got to be a MAGA Speaker of the House because Donald Trump wants it. That guy shouldn't be on the street any longer. That guy should be indicted in by Jack Smith. I'm calling out Jack Smith now. Based on what just happened in Georgia, get Boris Epstein indicted and get the rest indicted or get plea deals. See, here's where you and I will have a respectful disagreement. I don't see why Jack Smith has a need to indict any of these people where Fulton County District Attorney Fawny Willis is essentially doing the work for him, doing incredible work, handing it to him on a silver platter. It's not it's not, there's not an overlap though, Ben. There's, group, there's a group that's not in Georgia. It's not like the proffer agreements. Well, the evidence in Georgia through the proffer agreements that are going to be uh, taken, that have already been taken by Fulton County District Attorney Fonnie Willis, will be used by special counsel Jack Smith. And what he has to avoid, and he knows this, any opportunity that would cause a delay in that March 2024 trial date, he's not going to do. Even if, even if you're right, Popak, and absolutely Boris Epstein deserves to be indicted, Rudy Giuliani deserves to be indicted, Sidney Powell, there are some overlaps there, right? Because a lot of the unindicted co-conspirators 
are people who were indicted by Fulton County District Attorney Funny Willis. But I hear you that there may be some unindicted co-conspirators in Fulton County that are also unindicted yeah. co-conspirators there. So so there, there I, I think there is overlap. But Jack Smith isn't going to, in my opinion, isn't going to do anything that causes a delay. Let me in- ask you a question. I'm not talking to be, to be clear. Let me see if this changes your mind. doesn't have to. <laughs> we like we like a little flash of sparks on the show. I'm not talking about a superseding indictment. I'm not talking about a, a, a superseding indictment that would add defendants to the existing case in front of Judge Chutkin, which is now simply four felony conspiracy counts against, I say simply, against Donald Trump and just one defendant. I'm talking about a separate indictment which would go on its own track, stretched out over a year, wouldn't necessarily have to overlap with Donald Trump. Donald Trump goes first. I don't, mm-hmm. you're right. I don't want anything to get in the way of the one case I believe would go to trial before the election, Jack Smith. I'm talking about an indictment separate and maybe assigned to Judge Shutkin, maybe not, of some of these people. Look, if that was done after the March trial, I'm good with it. <laughs> the problem is if 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 Jack Smith tried to do that before the Trump trial in March, because the facts arise out of the a common nucleus of operative facts, what Trump will immediately do and what the other co-defendants will immediately do, because they'll then go to Donald Trump, hey, have your political action committee pay for our legal fees. They will file a notice of related case. They'll file a motion to consolidate. And because it arises out of common common nucleus of operative facts, there would be a good argument why that should be uh, as part of the same indictment and consolidated. And then I think it really jeopardizes that March 2024 trial date. So I think Jack Smith's going to exercise restraint and not do it. I'm with you, though, if special counsel Jack Smith wants to do it after um, the March trial, the statute of limitations is is still there. And frankly, it wouldn't even need to be brought by special counsel Jack Smith because the same types of potential conflicts that created the need for a special counsel in the first place aren't there, I think, as it relates to some of the other people. And after special counsel Jack Smith concludes his prosecution. So I I think that's how 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 he's weighing it, but but we'll see there. You know, I I think what's interesting if you look at as well though too, how Sidney Powell got the six misdemeanors versus Ken Chesbro getting one felony, and and that tells me a lot also there too. I I think Sidney Powell's going to be providing a lot more cooperation, and that's where the misdemeanors come from, and allows her to preserve her make an argument to preserve her law license by saying it's not a crime of moral turpitude, but in exchange for her to just lay out everybody. Whereas I think Ken Chesborough, because his cooperation may not be as valuable, you hit him with a felony, you basically you know, once you have that felony, it carries with it a great deal of other implications across things that you're able to do. And so I, I think it does also show, though, that the special count that, uh, sorry, Fulton County District Attorney Phony Willis does not expect that that testimony by Chesbro to be hugely important. They just don't want to spend six months now with Sidney Powell out doing a trial against Ken Chesbro. They want to prepare for the Trump trial. And then it's like, when do we slot in this Trump trial? And as we talk about other cases today, I did a hot take on it uh, that that was that aired this morning, how what uh, Judge Eileen Cannon is doing and causing delay in her federal 
uh, case involving Donald Trump's theft of national defense information, you know, delaying hearings, delaying hearings on Donald Trump's request to delay all hearings. You know, Donald Trump is playing like MAGA checkers while all of these great prosecutors are playing prosecutorial chess at the highest level. And so it actually would probably be a smarter move of Donald Trump to keep the trial date with Judge Eileen Cannon knowing how she's helping him. It's already too late. He's already asked for the extension. So it's not like I'm giving him advice right now that he's going to be able to utilize. So, so don't worry about that because he's already requested the extension. But if, if he was smarter about it, he would say, let's do the trial. The, the case that he has the best likelihood of being found not guilty is Judge Cannon. Not because he's not guilty, but because she helps him in every aspect of it. So if he was smart, he would have actually pushed for that case to go first, try to undermine what the prosecutors are doing on the other on the other cases. But because he's terrified and a weak person of it, he's pushing that one back. But what can now happen is, whereas normally a state prosecutor and a state court judge would not only respect the comity, not comedy, comity of federal courts, but respect that federal courts take priority. Now, Judge McAfee could be looking at what Judge Cannon is doing and saying, you know what, maybe we set this trial tentatively for May or June, you know, because it doesn't seem like Judge Cannon's case is going to go. So this has massive implications, not just on the testimony that's going to take place against Trump and the other RICO co-defendants, but on the schedule of things. And you see how that interplays with Judge Eileen Cannon's shenanigans and how, as I always say, yes, she's corrupt. She's also incompetent. And so is Trump. So that is a potent medicine for creating these confluence of factors that may allow this to line up as the January 6th related cases, the one in Washington, D.C., and then the RICO case go back to back. And that would be something that I think would actually be the best case scenario. I want to get your thought on that, Michael Popak. And then I, of course, want to talk about later in the show, the big news that we broke here at Midas Touch. Hat tip to our editor-in-chief, Ron Filipkowski. I don't know if you saw Popak, but um, the media was a little bit peanut butter and jelly that we broke that story. I think the Washington Post referred to us. They didn't even give us credit. They called us a media company. It's like we're getting more. We're getting more audience. <laughs> that a media company broke the story. Like, by the way, they used, <laughs> they used to they used to do that to Microsoft and Apple back in the day. Well, you know, they're a technology yet. company they're... today invented a Mac. <laughs> <laughs> so, so if you all are wondering if patreon.com slash Midas Touch has the impact, I just give you exhibit A, the story that we broke this week, which led to Donald Trump being found in violation of the gag order. Go to patreon.com slash Midas Touch. Popak, I want to get your thoughts on my scheduling theory that I just gave. And then let's get into a lot of developments in Washington, D.C., including a gag order being imposed on Donald Trump. It seems like weeks ago, but it took place on Monday, the first day of, uh, of last week. Let's talk about that more. Let's take our first quick break. Losing weight can be a challenge, and it's often hard to find the solution that works for you. Henry Meds offers affordable online weight management programs that utilize semaglutide. Save thousands with Henry Meds weight management program. Receive semaglutide online at an affordable price. Provider and medication are included in the monthly cost and no insurance is required. Semaglutide has been shown to be effective for weight management in numerous clinical trials. 
Sign up online, speak to a provider on the Henry Meds platform, and receive medication to your door if you're medically eligible. No insurance needed. Semaglutide is clinically proven to reduce appetite and curb cravings. Henry Meds offers a science-backed weight loss medication that reduces your appetite and cravings, and the monthly cost includes the telehealth appointment and medication. Visit henrymeds.com slash legalaf and receive $50 off your first month by using promo code legalaf. That's henrymeds.com slash legalaf and receive $50 off your first month by using promo code legalaf. Being on top of your mental health game is so important. As you know, I'm a practicing trial attorney in addition to my hot takes and co-hosting duties. And so it's easy to fall into bad habits or routines because life gets in the way, especially with your diet. Frankly, I think most people can relate that everyday life gets in the way, making it challenging to find a healthy snack without all the sugar and junk. If you're busy and constantly on the go like me, you need to try Mosh. It's a protein bar made for your brain. With six delicious flavors, each mosh bar includes 12 grams of protein and is made with ingredients that support brain health like ashwagandha, lion's mane, collagen, and omega-3s. At 160 calories and only one gram of sugar, mosh protein bars are the guilt-free snack your brain and body will crave. Your brain is your number one tool, which is why mosh protein bars were mindfully formulated by some of the top neuroscientists and functional nutritionists. Mosh now has a new line of plant-powered protein bars in three delicious flavors. For those who want all the protein and brain support in the original bar, now made with plant-based ingredients. I have a mosh bar midday to energize my end of day and it's totally improved my performance. I love the taste, especially of the peanut butter mosh bar. Delicious. Not to mention the packaging makes it super easy to take with me if I ever find myself hungry in between meetings. Don't settle for a mediocre snack when you can nourish your body and mind with the fuel it needs to succeed. So whether you're at the gym, on the go, or just living your best life, Mosh Protein Bars will keep your brain and body fit, fueled, and feeling good. Head to moshlife.com slash legalaf to save 20% off, plus free shipping on your first six-count trial pack. That's 20% off plus free shipping on your first six-count trial pack, which includes all six mouth-watering flavors. M-O-S-H-L-I-F-E dot com slash legalaf. Welcome back. We are live on Legal AF. Thank you to our pro-democracy sponsors. We appreciate your support. You can check out those products in our description below. All right, let's go into busy week in Washington, D.C. Wait, I wanted to comment on the trials. Let me say, yeah, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to get, we're going to get there. See, you know, I got to, Wind it up, wind it up, and here's wind the pitch. It, wind it up and then toss it. Let's talk about the, here are the five things I want to talk about in Washington, D.C. And, and, and Popak, I, I want you want to hear your thoughts on it. Um, first and foremost, the gag order imposed on Donald Trump. Second, that Donald Trump then filed an appeal and then requested a stay. And Judge Chutkin granted actually a, a stay. And I want to hear the strategy behind that, because I think she's supremely confident in her order and just doesn't want Donald Trump to cause delay. 
I want to talk about Jack Smith's team filing in opposition to Donald Trump's motion to dismiss the indictment. And then we're still in the Washington, D.C. area. I want to talk about what federal judge Amit Mehta did in denying uh, the Donald Trump's request for a stay in the civil cases brought by uh, victims of the January 6th insurrection who were harmed, killed, maimed, and the ramifications of that. And finally, the D.C. Court of Appeals affirming the uh, ability of the Department of Justice and Special Counsel Jack Smith thereby um, to use obstruction of official proceeding uh, charges in these insurrectionist uh, prosecutions, including even though it's not in this order, that's one of the uh, charges counts in the indictment against uh, Donald Trump. So I want to talk about all of that. But first, see how I was going to do that? <laughs> but first, Michael Popak, um, this case, this special counsel Jack Smith's Washington, D.C. case scheduled for March. We always talk about the scheduling of these dates. And as I mentioned before the break, you know, this this special counsel Jack Smith D.C. case is going to go first, but it will be interesting to see now with the plea agreements that were entered by Chesbro and Powell and all of the stuff that Cannon's doing in causing delay. Does this open up a path? Yeah, I like I like the way you've laid that out. I, look, I think Donald Trump's been trying to use Mar-a-Lago, the only place where he seems to have any judge that's in his corner. I'm not going to go as far as some of the other legal commentators to say she just she should just be part of the listed as part of the defense team, Judge Cannon. I'm not going that far. But Donald Trump has obviously got one one chip to play, and he keeps playing it in this poker game, and that is to try to use Judge Cannon to the best he can, strategically, tactically, to cause delay and re wreak havoc on the other cases. Problem with that is I'm not sure Judge Cannon can do much else. She hasn't yet made her decision as to whether she's going to either even postpone the Mar-a-Lago case as much as we heap scorn on her and her and and, the, and watching her micro watch her about everything she does leading up to this. She hasn't yet moved the trial date, and really nothing that's been that's been brought to to the fore by Donald Trump. There's two thousand pages missing out of one point six million. None of this was seven months to go on the clock. Would would any other judge worth their salt move a trial for? And I'm not yet convinced that she's going to either. She had the opportunity to help him right at the very outset, put the trial after the election. And she, like Judge Chutkin, said, no. Uh, I interpreted that as both judges believing, regardless of their feelings about the case, that democracy demanded that this person, Donald Trump, either be a convicted felon or be absolved by a jury before the voters vote. And I'm not changing my mind quite yet. But in terms of the, the calendar that's now open, the path that is now opened, take five months off. I thought that the Fulton County, Georgia uh, trial was going to take Georgia out of the running for having really a, a 2024 trial until much late third or fourth quarter because of the other two cases of Chesboro and Powell being tried together. That's out. Now there's a there's a, a whole of whole you know vacancy here whole opening here in Fulton County. Now he's not I don't believe that Judge McAfee is going to step on the toes of Judge Chutkin and try to slide a case in 
between now and March. March sounds like it's a long time away, but it really isn't. You know, snap your fingers and you, me, and Karen are going to be holding court over a uh, a live feed. Well, it won't be a, a live feed there, or at least a daily update of what's going on in a trial of Donald Trump in Washington, D.C. in the, in the beginning of the spring. So I don't think he's going to do that. But you're right. If there is movement at all by Cannon, and she's still sitting on a decision um, on, on uh, based on a motion to continue as to whether she's going to, and, and she keeps her cards very close to her vest until we get that docket entry that tells us what she's done. If she moves, Scott McAfee is going to slide right in behind that or after that. But I still think the clearest path and the number one case that has to go to trial and will go to trial well in advance of the election in November, November is Judge Chutkin's D.C. election interference case. And so that's that's how I see it. One case will definitely go, and maybe Fawny Willis is able to slide her case in. While Donald Trump continues to exhaust his resources to try to use the, the Cannon case to do some blocking and tackling in the other cases, so far to no great effect. I think that's a great analysis, but don't don't now start indicting uh, uh, other individuals to delay our DC case. I want to say something on that because I know you want to get the last word on this. I don't think they're going to combine the cases if they separately indict. If I thought that, I wouldn't have suggested it. But I if they arise out of the same common nucleus of operative facts, but, but federal. Federal courts allow independent indictments to go separately and be tried on separate tracks. But my question is, do you believe (laughs) that Donald Trump would file a motion to consolidate? I agree with you on that. I just don't think believe will allow it. And and do you? So, so yes. Do you you believe that that would have to be heard on a briefing schedule after all the other individuals? Um, entered uh, their first appearance and yes, um, and 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 were arraigned. Yes, um, and do you believe that the briefing of that would take at least more than thirty to forty-five days to yes. be resolved? Yes, and do you think that that has an opportunity of derailing the March trial based on that schedule? No, <laughs> I, be, only because I'll tell you why. Only because. And we do this internally so people understand it. There's a reason we're able to get hot takes up so quickly. We know Judge Chutkin moves very quickly. By the time the thing is fully briefed, she's got an order ready to go that day or the next morning. That's why we're like, something just got filed. There'll be a ruling on it any minute now. Because this is Chutkin. Canon, different story. Canon gets but frustrated. Here's where, here, yeah. but, she'll, but she'll here's where. It, well, let me finish my thought before you give me the here's. The, the, she'll rule quickly. There'll be maybe an emergency application on the issue of consolidation. It's not an issue that's slow down her trial whatsoever. That's not going to, just because he takes an appeal about consolidation does, or somebody does, doesn't mean his Trump's trial's going to be delayed. It, it moves. This freight train has no break. It will make it to station by March. With uh, the possibility that the case gets filed um, and, and likely would go in front of another judge other than Judge Chutkin. Mm-hmm. It could go in front of one of the Trump appointees. We're going to talk a little bit about how some of those Trump appointees you'll talk about in a little bit interpreted the obstruction of official proceeding statute to try to gut it and basically say that, well, only if it relates to like the destruction of documents, do you have obstruction of official proceeding that can be charged. So, so, So you have judges like that 
So I, I, I just think that there are so many variables mm -hmm. that have the opportunity to cause delay. I would put it over 50% if you did an indictment yeah. of other individuals right now that I think if I'm special counsel Jack Smith, the last thing you want to do is inject a variable you can't control. But, yes, but the, but the advantage of it is you get bad people indicted for criminal the criminal things they did, and you get them to start cooperating. I'm not sure the levels, I'm making an assumption, the levels of cooperation for the six that have been named, including three that are in the Georgia indictment, hasn't been great. And yes, yes, he's got tremendous amounts of evidence, but it would be nice if while he's doing his case, a Rudy Giuliani, a real Mark Meadows, really cooperating, a John Eastman, really cooperating, or, or Sidney Powell now, we know is going to cooperate. She's looking for any deal she can get um, to avoid... That, that's the phone call that comes. You saw what happened in Georgia. I'm not saying he's jealous, Jack Smith, but he needs to get some plea deals cooperating with him in D.C. before March. It can't just be Donald Trump not taking a stand, a lot of lower level people and a bunch of documents. I want higher people to testify in March. I think it's important. I mean, he's going to have the former vice president of the United States testifying mm -hmm. against Donald Trump. He's going to have the head of Donald Trump's campaign strip, Michael Roman, the guy who yeah. came up with the fake elector scheme. Who's indicted in Georgia. Yeah. And, 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 and Roman, though, entered into a proffer. You're yeah. going to have potentially the governor of Georgia testify. You're going to have the secretary of state of Georgia. So you're going to have a lot of people like that. And as between that and potentially getting duty Rudy Giuliani to testify with the risk of derailing your March trial date mm -hmm. while democracy hangs on the line, I, 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 I opt for let's have the March trial, don't do any other indictments, and then Jack Smith, at least, go get that case before a jury. The statute of limitations is still there. But anyway, we could have this debate for a long time. <laughs> we'll do a hot take. We'll do a hot take on it. Um, let's talk about, though, what went down with the gag order. Let's talk about what went down with the opposition to Donald Trump's motion to dismiss the indictment. Popeye. What, yeah. What, what, yeah, and I, I, you and I are on the same page. I did a hot take on it. You'll do one, or you did one. Not don't everybody get all upset about Judge Chutkin making a really strong decision to finally, after a two-hour hearing and briefing, to gag Donald Trump, a limited gag on Donald Trump from using violent rhetoric to attack by name participants in the criminal justice system against him. The hearing said, told me all I need to know about this judge, the way she ran the courtroom during the hearing, how she interacted with John Lauro, who made the primary arguments for Donald Trump. Um, she's She is a supremely confident jurist in her own understanding of the law of procedure, of history, and not just our history, <laughs> history of the world, where she made you know, the same person that can say presidents are not kings and this guy's not the president, is the same person that can cite Henry II from 1107 in her remarks back to John Lauro. And I'm sure she was one person short in that historical debate, because I'm not sure he knew where she was going with that. She used the phrase when he said, it's just talk, Your Honor, he really hasn't, my client really has been a good boy and he hasn't done anything to violate any of your conditions of relief. And she laughed and she said, really? She said, you know, it's just words, Your Honor. Well, he said words have import and impact and violent impact. It's, it's, and she said, it reminds me, this is in the hearing, she said, it reminds me of Henry II. Won't someone rid me of this meddlesome priest? 
in which Henry II was upset with the Archbishop of Canterbury, who wasn't going to appoint some priests and art and bishops that the king wanted. And so when he said that, four knights went down to Canterbury and assassinated the archbishop. Meaning when Donald Trump makes comments about judges, their family, staff, family, prosecutors and their family and the like, there's real world consequences that have to be acknowledged. And she painted Laurel right into the box in the hearing. She said, you agree with me that he can't say anything during the campaign, right? He said, 100%, Your Honor. And she said, right. And there are limits to what he can say, even under the First Amendment. He is a defendant. This is the judge now facing four felony indictments. He's a participant in a criminal justice system that supervises him. In other words, his release, his freedom right now is at my discretion and that of the federal court system. That's how that's how it works on conditions of release. Something Cannon never reminds the the Trump of, but but that the judge takes very seriously. The second thing she takes very seriously, and is her guiding principle for all of her rulemaking in this case and every case, is the swift and fair administration of justice, and nothing will delay it, and nothing will impact it. And that's how she, that's her litmus test. Is this outside the court event? person conduct speech going to negatively impact what happens in the courtroom for the criminal trial, yes or no? And if it's yes, I got to do something about it and issue an order. So she granted the order. Um, She left it intentionally vague in certain areas to give her wiggle room to regulate things that she's observed. She said, I don't even need in the gag order. I don't need the prosecutors to alert me to anything that Donald Trump's done. I reserve the right to, if I see something myself, it's called sua sponte. On my own initiative, I'm able to bring and call that matter and get the to get the lawyers and maybe Donald Trump back in front of me to consider what further discipline has to be done if the gag order is violated. She said any she said principles. She used certain terms that give her a wider ability to regulate his speech even on the campaign trail. Now, nothing about that gag order stopped Donald Trump that minute, minutes after it, or since to campaign legitimately for the presidency of the United States, God help us. Nothing, nothing. He's He hasn't been gagged in any way. He's able, as she said to him in the hearing and in the order, you want to criticize broadly the Department of Justice, the justice system. Um, uh, you, you want to make comments about your case without attacking witnesses, prosecutors, staff, judges, and that kind of thing. Great, you're allowed to do that. You're not allowed to dox staff, prosecutors by name, judges by name, and that type of thing, although he continues to do that. And so some people were surprised, not by Donald Trump's appeal of that decision. We knew he was going to appeal. You did a hot take on the appeal. But that she so quickly granted his request for a stay temporarily, administratively, for now, of her order and its enforcement until he goes through the appellate process. There's two ways to get a stay of of a order you don't like in federal court or in state court. You can either go to the appellate court and ask them for an administrative stay. That gets considered by usually a judge or a small panel. That's not the panel or judge that's going to decide the merits of the underlying appeal. It's usually like a duty judge, that D-U-T-Y, that makes a decision about the stay uh, for that moment. Or you go back to the trial judge. And, and that's not a reflection, as you, you, so, you so well put it on the way into the segment. 
The fact that she, on the motion first, decided to stay it is not a reflection of her indecisiveness. It's a reflection of the strength of her conviction that her order is correct. We're watching a decisive judge in action, not an indecisive one. She knows she's going to be affirmed on appeal by her bosses at the D.C. Court of Appeals, just as she has been affirmed, because she's a judge that gets rarely reversed, just as she's been affirmed in every major case involving Jan 6, including involving Donald Trump a year ago when he tried to assert executive privilege out of office when he was no longer president to stop the Jan 6 committee from getting his presidential papers. And that's where the now immortal words she she uttered were, presidents are not kings and that guy's not the president. And so he doesn't get to assert executive privilege. She is very confident that her, the intellectual uh, intellectual underpinnings of her decision making and rulemaking here are on solid ground, even though it's novel. We never had a gag at ex president while he yes. was campaigning before. And so that's what we're watching. So I don't want to, I know the reporting was, she's staying her own decision. Oh my God, he'll, be, he'll go out there. And look, she's making, I'll leave it on this bench. She's, she's making a calculated decision here because she is worried about violent rhetoric leading to violent results and people dying and people being injured who are innocent in this matter, just doing their job, as she likes to say, for the criminal justice system. But she's willing to take a risk that for another month or so, while the issue goes up on appeal and comes back down to her, that nothing serious is going to happen. Otherwise, she would tell him, you know what, I don't think you have any chance of winning on appeal based on what you said in, in your papers, and therefore I am not going to grant the stay, forcing him to go get the stay at the district court level if he can get it at all. This way she said, you want to go back? Do you want to go to my bosses and see if I'm right? There you go. Have a, have a good day. I'll see you back here in 30 days on the gag order. Well, and she knows that Donald Trump's ultimate plan here is to try to delay that March trial date. So anything that Donald Trump can try to argue that this, the fact that this gag order is in place now prejudices his ability to uh, be a defendant in this case. And so then Donald Trump goes to the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals and says, you need to stay or stop or halt the proceedings that are taken. You need to move this trial date. And she knows that that's what he's trying to do. So she's like, OK, why don't you try to just I'm with you, Popo. Why don't yeah. you justify I want to ask you a question? You, you, just, straight, you, you just you just lit, a, lit something for me. I want to see your opinion. Gag orders don't really go to the heart of a criminal case. What he can say on the campaign trail and what he can say to try to get elected president isn't what's going on in the courtroom. I don't see a gag order as being something that could, as an issue, delay the trial. What do you think? I think it could. I think, you know, all options are on the table for Donald Trump. Remember, when he was in office, he appointed judges. So what's the panel of the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals going to look like? What is the United States Supreme Court going to do? We're in unprecedented territory. And if you want me to say, hey, Ben, do you trust that there's going to be a court of appeals panel that is not going to do something unprecedented or the Supreme Court that is not going to do something unprecedented here if the law and order federal judge Chutkin gives them the opening to take action? I would tell you, I would not place my faith in any of that. So my whole view is I think that do I think in normal times, the judge, not federal judge Chutkin, not staying her gag order, could that cause delay? The, the, the answer, the direct answer is no. But in these unprecedented times, could it at least be used? Trump's trying to find any possible hook to delay this March date. 
So why give him any possible thing to hang on to? The most important thing is that that trial goes in March and that a jury is able to reach a decision on Donald Trump's attempt to overthrow a free and fair election. Um, I want to talk also about this opposition that Donald Trump filed uh, to the motion to uh, or the opposition to Donald Trump's motion to dismiss that special counsel Jack Smith filed. Donald Trump is claiming that a former presidents are entitled to absolute immunity from criminal charges. And he says that his conduct falls within the outer perimeter of what is expected of presidents and former presidents trying to overthrow the results of a free and fair election. It's actually the argument he made. It says absolute immunity. Special counsel Jack Smith says there is no such thing as absolute immunity for former presidents. No one is above the law. I thought it was a real powerful uh, opposition to the motion to dismiss filed by Jack Smith, reiterating over and over again, no one is above the law. And if you countenanced, if you allowed absolute immunity, we would be treating presidents and like kings. And Donald Trump is not the president, and we don't have kings here in the United States of America. What would you make of special counsel Jack Smith's opposition to Donald Trump's motion to dismiss? blew the doors off the off his motion. Um, I, I think it's clear that the outer boundary, I know we're going we're gonna to do it in the next segment, but in the outer boundaries of what is presidential immunity, there is no doubt that there is no absolute presidential immunity. Whereas not, as Jack Smith put it, and I'm paraphrasing, he can't do anything he wants to do. If he wanted to commit bribery or a break-in or rob a bank, there are things that are obviously outside even the outer limits, even if we stretched it like uh, like silly putty as far out as we could, there are limits of what we what we allow even people who get to be the president of the United States what they're allowed to do. And the number one case that, that they rely on on the on Trump side is Nixon versus Fitzgerald. Nixon versus Fitzgerald. Nixon versus Fitzgerald. It's a civil case, not a criminal case. It has to do with with what pre if presidents can be sued for civil damages in a non criminal context while they're president and the and thumbs up or thumbs down has nothing to do with a criminal president that's that's in office because frankly we've never had a criminal well we've had criminal presidents in office but not ones that have been indicted and are going to that are going to trial so um you know comparing himself to washington on the farewell address that's the that's the address that set the standard for no presidents or kings because everybody wanted Washington to stay in office, and he said, "No, it's better for the for the republic and the you know our country if I leave." And and he like at fifty something, he stepped down from office. He didn't then go off and try to undermine the administration of the next or the next president, or say the second president of the United States was illegally voted in and and challenge it. That would be the the comparable. So. Jack Smith has a firm grasp on legal precedent and on historical comparisons. And Donald Trump's team, how can I put this nicely, doesn't know what they're talking about. They're going to lose the motion to dismiss the indictment. It's going to be affirmed on appeal. And this freight train with no brake is going to pull into the station for a March 2024 trial date, U.S. versus Donald J. Trump. 
Big, big, big news elsewhere in Washington, D.C. before federal judge Amit Mehta, also before the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals. I want to talk about that as soon as we come back from our last quick break of the day. Stay on track with Magic Spoon, cereal that tastes like your childhood faves, but with more protein and less sugar. Do yourself a favor and check out Magic Spoon's variety pack today. The Variety Pack has four flavors, cocoa, fruity, frosted, and peanut butter. This pack has zero grams of sugar, 13 to 14 grams of protein, and four to five net grams of carbs. And it's only 140 calories a serving. It's high protein, has zero grams of sugar, keto-friendly, gluten-free, grain-free, and soy-free. I'm obsessed with Magic Spoon's frosted cereal. The crunch and the flavor it brings me right back to eating cereal as a kid. With Magic Spoon, you have the great taste you love with more protein and less sugar. Go to magicspoon.com slash illegalaf to grab a variety pack and try it today. And be sure to use our promo code LEGALAF at checkout to save $5 off your order. And Magic Spoon is so confident in their product, it's back with a 100% happiness guarantee. So if you don't like it for any reason, they'll refund your money no questions asked. Remember, get your next delicious bowl of high-protein cereal at magicspoon.com slash LegalAF and use the code LegalAF to save $5 off. Thank you, Magic Spoon, for sponsoring this. Welcome back. We are live on Legal AF. I, again, want to remind everybody, if you want to support our pro-democracy sponsors in the description below, I didn't want to ignore two other developments in Washington, D.C. that we've been covering here. You know, one is Donald Trump's request of a stay before Washington, D.C. federal judge Amit Mehta in the civil lawsuits, including for wrongful death and for other uh, civil claims arising out of the January 6th insurrection. Donald Trump saying, well, because of all these criminal proceedings taking place and the potential need to invoke my Fifth Amendment rights against self-incrimination, the civil cases should be stayed pending uh, the outcome of the criminal case to which federal judge Amit Mehta said, well, it's premature at this stage. Why don't we wait until your deposition, Donald Trump, and see if you're going to invoke the fifth at this stage. Let's see what you do. You're, you're potentially testifying in other places. You say you want to testify. So why don't we see what happens and then bring this motion at that time? And then an important D.C. Uh, Court of Appeals ruling in the D.C. Circuit um, that has massive implications on the uh, Department of Justice prosecutions of insurrectionists and special counsel Jack Smith's case against Donald Trump. Popak, what went down in both of those cases? Yeah, I think we've got a really consistent ruling from Judge Mehta. He's the judge that presided just as way of background over the um, Oath Keepers trial and the um, conviction of Stuart Rhodes and the others for seditious conspiracy. Um, one of the things that's interesting um, about the D.C. Circuit bench is that all the judges, Republican or Democratically nominated, 
have a, have tremendous depth of experience about all things Jan 6. There's not a judge, including Judge Chutkin, that hasn't tried either by bench trial or presiding over a jury trial or handling sentencing or civil cases related to it. They've, they've all each tried dozens of cases um, and and know the facts of the case very, very well. And while there's been some, some of the judges we haven't completely agreed with early on, Judge Nichols, who handled the, 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 the Steve Bannon case, did some strange things and and some other strange things about um, obstruction of, 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 of Congress as a count, which I'll talk about next. But by and large, almost all the judges in the D.C. Circuit Court have done the right thing. We, we may disagree on the periphery about how many years they sentenced somebody to, but really, except for an occasional misdemeanor, you know, uh, somebody who got let off who should have been a misdemeanor, everybody's everybody uh, is handling these cases knows these cases well. Amit Mehta is also, because you know, when you're a federal judge, you preside over criminal cases and civil cases, same docket, law and equity. You do it all when you're a federal judge. He, he's also the judge that's been assigned um, a series of cases brought by D.C. Metro Police, Capitol Police, the estates of Capitol Police who died like in the line of service, like uh, Brian Sicknick, and even House of Representatives members. They're separate cases, but they're all, to, to continue with our consolidation theme here on Legal AF today, they've all been brought in front of the same judge, uh, Judge Mehta. And in earlier um, attempts by Donald Trump to assert that case we just talked about, you, uh, uh, Nixon versus Fitzgerald, to say, I can't be sued civilly in damages like ever. Even there, Judge Maida said, no, there's outer boundaries to your immunity, even under the Nixon precedent. And I think you have gone beyond the outer boundaries of your immunity in your involvement. This is the judge when he wrote his decision about those prior cases brought by the Metro DC police for damages, claiming that their civil rights were violated. And under the KKK Act, it is what you think, um, that Donald Trump is responsible for what happened on Jan 6 to the carnage that happened inside the Capitol and around the Capitol and the people who's, uh, especially the police and House of Representative members and others whose lives are forever impacted emotionally and physically, and even with their own lives in in, a, in the case of Brian Sicknick, um, because of Donald Trump lighting that fuse and directing those actions of his followers, the won't someone rid me of this meddlesome Congress certification comment to continue our theme today of history made by Donald Trump, which was taken up by thousands of his followers who stormed the Capitol in our seat of democracy. So Judge Mehta had already ruled on that months ago. What was before him this time was a similar motion brought by the estate, uh, brought uh, by Donald Trump against the case brought by the estate of Brian Sicknick. That's the that's the police officer who battled valiantly on Jan 6, was pepper sprayed and bear sprayed and suffered a heart attack the following day. He was a very healthy 40-something police officer. He would not have died but for Jan 6 and Donald Trump. That's the argument. And his family sued for similar damages under those similar statutes and civil rights violations. And so Donald Trump brought the same motion that he brought there. And Judge Maida basically said, for the same reasons I found previously um, in the related cases, that you've gone beyond the limits of absolute immunity and you're not entitled to avoid on these facts, you're not entitled to avoid um, absolutely the civil case. Donald Trump said, uh, can you at least stay my case here and not let it progress while the appellate court, the D.C. Court of Appeals, decides whether my 
the issue, the issue that's before them that hasn't yet been decided about whether my immunity does prevent this kind of case. And the judge said, no, that's kind of premature. You, we're not that far along in this case. We'll see what happens in your criminal cases. Judge cited to his criminal cases. You know, you haven't made the decision whether you're going to waive your Fifth Amendment rights there. Uh, that's for another day. So the judge just took the can and, and just punted it, just kicked the can down the road and said, come back to me if a following if, if a number of things happen in the future if you if you win your appeal on the issue of course come back to me we'll talk about the impact of that on this case if you waive your fifth amendment rights or you don't waive your fifth amendment rights or the trial has or hasn't happened at the time this case would be moving to trial and a civil side come back and talk to me but i'm not staying staying a darn thing right now and i'm not dismissing the case while we're waiting for the court of appeals to rule so that was on judge meta on the obstruction case the, the import of that is the following. The highest level charge that the Department of Justice used against any Jan 6 insurrectionist to date is seditious conspiracy. That's what the Proud Boys leadership got. That's what the Oath Keepers leadership got and a handful of other people. It was the giant cudgel that the Department of Justice also used in their plea negotiations, several people pleading guilty without a need for trial already to seditious conspiracy. That had the highest dollar amount on the board for the years in prison, and that's the one they use. The second highest charge in their arsenal, the Department of Justice indicting arsenal, is obstruction of Congress. And obstruction of Congress sounds exactly like what these people did. They went down to try to stop the certification of the electoral vote on purpose on Jan 6. That's the reason, just to remind everybody, that's why they're there on Jan 6. They're there and stormed the Capitol to stop the certification, right? They were, they were calling it stop the steal. We call it stop the peaceful transfer of power and the certification of the election. That sounds like a lot like you're obstructing Congress from doing their functions. A couple of judges. Yes, they were Republican appointed and Trump appointed, including Judge Nichols, took a look at that indictment and thought that the Department of Justice had overcharged the case, meaning they had picked criminal counts that didn't fit just to kind of ratchet up the numbers and dismissed obstruction of, of Congress. Judge Nichols particularly observing that he thought it only obtained and you could only use it when they literally got their hands on the certificates and the paperwork that was being considered by Mike Pence at the podium. That's the only way you could have obstruction of Congress because of the electoral certificates involved. We all thought, and we did hot takes on this, we did legal AF analysis on this, we all thought that was ridiculous, that that can't possibly be the only obstruction of Congress that could, you gotta, you gotta rip up the certificates like in the face of Mike Pence and throw it at him. That's the only way you can get charged. And no other judge believed that. There was a couple that did. Now it's definitive. The bosses of all these DC circuit court judges is the DC Court of Appeals before you get to the Supremes. And a three-judge panel voting two to one, led by Judge Pan, and a, and, a, and a shout out to Judge Pan. She has made some very important rulings in favor of democracy against these Gen 6 insurrectionists like time and time again. She is my, if I'm doing the pool for who could be the next Supreme Court justice for Joe Biden, I think it's I think it's Florence Pan. But I'll just leave it at that. Keep an eye on Florence Pan, the way we kept an eye on Ketanji Brown-Jackson, Amy Berman-Jackson, uh, 
Ketanji Brown, um, Ketanji Brown, Amy Berman Jackson. There's a few of them that uh, Tanya Chutkin, who if there's ever an opening at the Supreme Court level, these could be nominees for Donald for Donald Trump. And Judge Pan writing for the court rejected a Jan 6th insurrectionist who was trying to lower his sentence. He'd already been sentenced over six years because he was in the first wave that broke into the Capitol at the moment they were about to certify, uh, literally the tip of the spear, using a giant walking stick. Um, and he was a police officer. He was not only a Marine, he was a cop, a sergeant at the time. And he and others were the first ones in as the legislators had to be belly belly crawled out and protected by Capitol Police, outmatched, outnumbered Capitol Police. And so he said, well, no, that's not obstruction of Congress. And his main argument was that there's a, an interesting word that Congress used when they made the statute that animates the statute. And it's the word corruptly. What does corruptly mean? And you'd think, people watching the show, isn't everything already defined in law? It's, don't you go to a giant like dictionary, legal law dictionary, and you go corruptly, and there's a defined term that everybody agrees on? And the answer to that is no. Um, Congress uses terms. Sometimes you can go look at other times Congress used that same term somewhere else and how courts have interpreted. Or sometimes you literally, courts will refer to the dictionary definition, Oxford or any of the dictionaries, Webster's, and say this is what it means. So statutory uh, construction and interpretation is very, very important. He argued that in order, the defendant argued in order for him to be convicted of corruptly interfering with Congress, he had to do it through dishonest means. And since he held the belief that he uh, that the, the election was stolen and he didn't really do anything dishonestly, he did it intentionally, but not dishonestly, he should be let go. And Judge Pan for the court said no way. Corruptly means wrongfully with intent using criminal means. You use a giant stick. You attack Capitol Police. You broke in on the first wave. You were exactly what obstruction of Congress was meant to punish if you violate it. And so now we have a definitive ruling at the D.C. Court of Appeals level going forward about that yes, obstruction of Congress is an appropriate count to use, which means all of the people that pled guilty to that don't have an ability to an appeal because a higher court has ruled, and all the people that got their prior counts dismissed by lower court judges could be re-indicted by the Department of Justice if they don't like the way that went. They could now be re-indicted under this new count. It's not, it wouldn't be double jeopardy because that count was dismissed and they get and they could be tried again and sentenced again. And I don't know, I, I think the Department of Justice has to look to all the people who, who were able to convince judges that that count should be dismissed and they may reactivate those counts against those very people. Great ruling by Judge Pan and, and it'll stay on the books unless and until it's taken up to the US Supreme Court and they make a different decision. And it will be taken up to the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court will at some point in the next year, two years, max, maybe three years, um, I think sooner, will be making a decision. We will be here on Legal AF. We will look back at this video, and we will, when the Supreme Court grants certiorari on, on it, and um, and there's oral argument on it. So I think that that is something that will take place and will keep you posted. But that's why it's important that we follow this at every stage of the process. And last but not least, I want to talk about big news 
uh, in the New York Attorney General civil fraud case where Judge Ngoron found Donald Trump to be in violation of the gag order that Judge Ngoron imposed on Donald Trump and all parties back on October 3rd. On October 3rd, that was the first week of the New York Attorney General civil fraud case, where Donald Trump attended two and a half days of trial before running away back to his safe space at Mar-a-Lago. Judge Ngorod, after uncovering that Donald Trump was posting threats on his social media about Judge Ngorod's principal law clerk and attacking Judge Ngorod's law clerk, Judge Ngorod called Donald Trump and all counsel into his chambers back on October 3rd and uh, issued a gag order on the record, but then privately told Donald Trump, you need to take that down right now. Donald Trump took it down from his social media, but kept it up on his campaign website. And so Ron Filipkowski, you see it right there for those watching on YouTube, our editor-in-chief at MidasTouch.com uncovered that Donald Trump uh, had not removed the offending posts attacking Judge Ngoron's law clerk from his campaign website when he was ordered to do so back on October 3rd. So for 17 days, Donald Trump had to his audience, the most kind of radical and extreme group of people as well who support Donald Trump were still seeing this threat that was a violation of the gag order that was imposed on Donald Trump. So we broke the story at MidasTouch.com. Uh, the court was notified about it by um, a concerned party. I'm not sure if it was the uh, if it was the New York Attorney General's office, if it was someone else who saw it, but it was brought to the attention of Judge Ngoron, who immediately uh, called Donald Trump's lawyers into the courtroom first thing in the morning and said, "Tell me why I shouldn't put him in prison right now." because that's a violation of the gag order. And Donald Trump's lawyer, Christopher Keis, acknowledged it was a violation, but blamed the technology and said, look, we took it down. The campaign kept it up. That's a different operation. We're sorry. This was a big mistake. We acknowledge that it was wrong, and, we're, and we took it down right away. Um, and Judge Ngoron said, look, I don't, it's, it's a violation. We're past the warning stage in terms of sanctions. So I'm going to give a monetary sanction right now of $5,000. I'm going to find Donald Trump was in violation. I will accept your representation just this one time, Christopher Keis, that it was a technological issue in terms of not imprisoning Donald Trump now, not as saying that he didn't violate the gag order. I won't put him in prison now, but be aware, Kais, this is the last time that I say this, which is that's this after this violation, this is the first violation, next violation, he goes to jail. And the sanctions will include but not be limited to incarcerating Donald Trump immediately. So I want to give a hat tip right there to Ron Filipkowski, our editor-in-chief, for breaking that news. And again, for everyone who says, well, you know, Ben, you talk about patreon.com slash Midas Touch all the time. And the reason that I do that is because we're not funded by outside investors here at the Midas Touch Network. Zero outside investors. And I know the Washington Post wants to just refer to us in their coverage as the story was uncovered by a, uh, a media website. 
but more people are getting their news from here than are getting it from the Washington Post. More people watch the Midas Touch Network and support independent journalism than watch CNN or Fox on digital. So, I, And everything's moving towards digital and more people watch us um, than watch CNN or Fox. So that's because of your support, by the way. And we don't have outside investors. And so, look, they, they underestimate all of us. They underestimate the legal AF community. They underestimate the power and strength of this community, which let them underestimate us. But let's keep on growing. And that's, again, why I always plug patreon.com slash Midas Touch. And you see the results of how that website, how our editorial team there that we've been able to bring on as a result of patreon.com slash Midas Touch, um, the work that they're doing. And as we get closer to 2024 and in 2024, their work's going to be invaluable. So that's the last of my plug on patreon.com slash Midas Touch. But that's what happened in court. But also, Popak, in terms of the testimony this week, mm-hmm. um, I, I, Donald Trump was there for like a day and a half again. And, you know, he did his ranting and ravings, um, you know. But what we focus on here on Legal AF is also like, what evidence is being presented? And right, even if it's tedious financials, this is a case involving tedious financials. And people who aren't concerned about tedious financials, uh, sometimes that's what allows or when the media doesn't concern itself with tedious financials or ignore it, people like Donald Trump prey on that. So when we start getting testimony from people like Doug Larson and David McArdle, people who were uh, the appraisers at Cushman and Wakefield, and you start hearing their testimony, like Doug Larson saying that um, while he's being cited for appraisals for Trump properties like 40 Wall Street, he was not involved in that. He didn't didn't do the appraisal the way they claimed he did, and so they are falsely attributing things to him. When you hear David McArdle who's being shown deposition video of Eric Trump, where Eric Trump says that he was not involved at all in the appraisal processes. And Eric says, oh, I would just, you know, I was just there for morale. I'd show up at the construction sites and tell everyone, good work, everybody. But I don't concrete. really know. Sta- I he don't said really he poured know. concrete. I poured concrete. Right. And, and then David McArdle was asked, was that consistent with what you knew Eric Trump's role to be? Or was he involved in the appraisals with you? And McArdle's like, he was involved in the appraisals with me. He wasn't pouring concrete. He was <laughs> he was involved in all of this together. So, um, you know, that, I thought that was, you know, important testimony that really isn't getting covered out there. But I think we have to follow all the evidence and track it. Popak. Yeah. So one comment on the gag order. One of the reasons that gag order was so um, in the violation of it, broken by the Midas Touch Network is um, Trump was actually, it was the day he was in the courtroom. And there's a, let me just give a little insider knowledge about how things work in that New York court system and in judges' chambers. Judges will often take, because uh, I've been in this courtroom, in this courthouse, judges will often take uh, the litigants and their counsel, or maybe sometimes just the counsel without the litigants, into the chambers. Chambers is an office behind the bench. It usually has a long table at it, and that's where the judge is a little bit more informal. Sometimes the judge takes a court reporter in with them, and sometimes he does not. Sometimes it's on the record conversation, and sometimes it's off the record conversation. If it's on the record, he'll turn to the court reporter and say, let's get this down on the record. Usually the court reporter stays in the courtroom, and they come back out of chambers, which is usually all informal and all off the record. Donald Trump went back into the chambers when the gag order, when the gag order was issued, 
And he represented off the record, so he wasn't sworn under oath at the moment, that it had been successfully taken down. He apologized to the court. And, I don't know, he apologized to the court for something he, he knowingly did and said it had been taken down and made that representation to the judge. The judge outlined that in the violation of the gag order, order which he said, I basically took Donald Trump at his word personally. It wasn't through his counsel. It was a representation by Donald Trump. The ramifications now in the gag order, as the last paragraph of the gag order says, is that he gave him a pass for this one based on representations that it was unintentional and that it was done by the campaign and not by Donald Trump. But it won't happen again. And the next time, jail time, Donald Trump in jail time was, was in the same sentence, in the, in the same paragraph of the same sentence to conclude the order. And, uh, and Judge Angoron is serious about that. Uh, there's things that he's jocular about, jovial about in the courtroom. There's other things that he's not. He's deadly serious. And this is one of the deadly serious ones. So woe be Donald Trump and hopefully Midas Touch and, and, our, and us uh, will be following everything that Donald Trump says and does about Angoron, about the court system. This, this gag order applies to the New York civil case. It doesn't apply to other cases. It doesn't have extra case application. In terms of what's going on in the courtroom, it's terrible for Donald Trump, his children, and all the co-defendants. Every day and every way, every minute, uh, Fawny Will, uh, sorry, Fawny Willis, sorry, Fawny. <laughs> Let me go to another successful uh, person who's prosecuting a case against Donald Trump for at least civil fraud. The attorney general's uh, team is methodically just chopping wood and stacking it up with witnesses in a narrative, in a certain order, with momentum. This was the week I like to call the AAA week. This was auditors, accountants, and appraisers. And each one of them, in their own way, singing from their own page of the hymnal, was a devastatingly bad week for Donald Trump, pointing the finger at not just Alan Weisselberg, who's easy to point the finger at, he already went to jail for tax evasion, but others in the organization, and Donald Trump himself. I mean, when you have the inside vice president accountant say that Alan Weisselberg, on behalf of the boss, Donald Trump, told him to cook the books. That's a bad day for Donald Trump. And the day that he got most animated, the couple of days he was back in court um, because he was in New York for a deposition and another, another civil case that's going on against him, maybe thinking that Michael Cohen was going to appear. I want to talk about that in a minute. But the day that Donald Trump was there, they had the appraiser on the stand. And the appraiser in direct testimony through the office of attorney general was great. He, he, I don't know if he feigned surprise or he was surprised to see that his name was used to validate on a internal um, financial statement that was prepared, a chart of assets that was shared with third parties to make it look like the numbers listed for certain properties were based on his appraisals. And he said, "That's that. I never gave permission for my name to be used next to those numbers, or to suggest that I did the appraiser appraisal. They should have ordered appraisals, and we would have done it with our own methodology." And then Chris Keiss used that moment as a moment of of, of political theater for the cameras for his clients sitting there to say, uh, "Objection, judge! There's a possible perjury here. He needs to be advised of his rights and clear the courtroom." And the judge was like, "Okay, what's the issue? They put." the appraiser outside. What is the issue? We have evidence that he got an email eight years ago that indicates that he, he had some conversations with the Trump organization about appraisal methodology. And the judge is like, that's it? 
Because, yeah, and he needs his own counsel. He needs to be advised whether he should take his Fifth Amendment rights. And Donald Trump was the report from the people in the room was Donald Trump was really interested in that, right? Ha ha, we got it, the Perry Mason moment, as you like to say. Uh, and the, the judge's reaction was classic. Judge Angoran said, all right, so he committed perjury. Let's get him back on the stand and complete his testimony. In other words, have at it, Mr. Kice. If you think he perjured himself, which is actually not the literal definition of perjury, because the guy never... It's not a sworn statement in the past that he's now recanting. If they think they can impeach him, which is what Kais really meant, then have at it. And when they showed him the email, the aha moment that caused all of this, you know, all of this clamoring and 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 uh, tambourine banging at that moment, all sort of just died a slow whimper that that nobody reported, which was, aha, do you remember this email from seven years ago? And he said, I really don't remember this email. And then the, when they redirected him, he was able to say, I give advice about how to do appraisals to lots of clients. It's not unusual. I can't remember this particular one, but that doesn't mean that he should have put my name down next to this number because that's not a number I ever agreed with, nor was a result of my appraisal stuff. Eric Trump took a huge hit this week. No surprise, Don Jr. as well. But more importantly, people are saying that Donald Trump lied and committed fraud and Donald Trump doesn't like it. And that means he's the more he acts out, you, you can you can use it as a grid. The more Donald Trump acts out and lashes out, the worse the day in court was for him. You can almost plot it on a graph. And now, whereas in the beginning we thought, oh, they wanted Michael Cohen to go last week. If Michael Co Cohen goes as expected next week, it would be perfect cherry on the top. You've got, now you now he's standing on the shoulders of other testimony, Michael Cohen. You've got insider, insider top level money control people, bag men, having already testified, Weisselberg and McConney, the, the chief financial officer and the controller reporting to him. Then you've got their assistants that reported directly to them, the assistant controller and the assistant vice president reporting to Michael, to uh, Alan Weisselberg. Who are current employees? You got former or soon to be former employees, current, probably soon to be former employees testifying. And then you have outside appraisers and outside auditors. And now to wrap it all together is would be Michael Cohen to say that me and Weisselberg, at the instruction of Donald Trump, was told to cook the books, to plug a hole in his balance sheet in order for him to borrow more money and to go up on the Forbes list of the top 400 wealthiest people in the world. It would be a perfect timing now. And we're only in the third week of a trial that is likely to go at least four or five more months. And then, of course, after you build that foundation, you've got the testimony of Eric Trump, of Don Jr., then you get the testimony of Donald Trump, and they're all required to testify. I am still hedging here and saying that I am not confident that Donald Trump's going to testify. I can imagine a scenario where he just basically says, you know, it's all a sham. I, 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 this is a witch hunt. I'm, not, I'm, I'm going to not show up and I'm invoking my Fifth Amendment rights, even though he's already waived his Fifth Amendment rights because he's testified in a deposition. I think he's going to try to do something to try to not testify. So look for that. I think who's horrifically, and this is in, in a good way, nervous right now. I think e Eric Trump wakes up every day sweating 
because his deposition was atrocious. He's a, a very nervous individual all the time. Um, and he, I, I mean, I, I saw his deposition testimony and it's just so bad. And, uh, I mean, the testimony, at least that's been put out there on the videos where he's like, yeah, I never looked at the statement of financial conditions. You're supposed to be running the company. Like if you, if at a threshold, you said you haven't reviewed the statement of financial conditions of a company you're supposed to be running, what, what, what are, what are you, what are you doing? So I just think those, that's going to be just so disastrous for the Trumps when that goes, I'm excited to uh, cover that. And I believe Cohen's testimony is going to be Tuesday. Um, is when he's going in. Um, and, and I think he announced that on social media. So um, we will keep you posted there. And if Donald Trump uh, shows up for that testimony, we'll see. I mean, note, Donald Trump was the one who dismissed the lawsuit he filed against Michael Cohen because Trump was afraid to sit for a deposition in a case that Donald Trump filed. Michael Cohen is showing up as a third party witness. This isn't a case that Cohen filed. Cohen is showing up. He's going to be sitting there for hours and hours and hours, and he's ready to go. And I think that says a lot about Michael Cohen as well, and a lot about the Donald Trump, who filed the lawsuit and then was afraid to sit for a deposition. And it shows you that Donald Trump it just it goes to his overall weakness and and just the performative cosplay fascist nature of it all covered a lot of topics today on Legal AF. I uh, want to thank all of you for watching. You know, with each uh, week that passes, there's just more bombshell news. And so thank you for making this one of the top podcasts in the world, one of the top shows in the world. Make sure you're subscribed. Right now, it's free to subscribe to our YouTube channel. Just hit the subscribe button right there. Check out all of our pro-democracy sponsors uh, in the description below. Some great products and from great companies that are supporting us here at Legal AF. And also one of the ways to support the work we do is by going to patreon.com slash Midas Touch. You saw how impactful it was this week. So now would be the time to go there. Patreon.com slash Midas Touch. And we've got a lot of exclusive content on there as well. Thank you everybody for watching this episode of Legal AF. We will see you next time. The wheels of justice sure are turning. And it is an honor for Michael Popak and myself to be here with you as they turn. Shout out to the Midas Makers.